0: What is up everyone and welcome into episode 49 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host who will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In this week's episode, we have a bunch of stuff to get to. Mike and I will get caught up, as always. In our educational section, Mike and I will talk about developing ostinatos. Our featured artist this week is Mr. Craig Blundell. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Sabian HH Vanguard series symbols. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started.
1: Ooh, doggies, episode 49. Episode 49, coming up on the big half-century that is
0: that is crazy. You know what? Okay, now what's crazy is I can't believe it's only been forty nine less or yeah, forty nine. No. I, like, I think we should be at a
1: hundred by now, right? Yeah,
0: I, I can't. It's kind of weird. I can't remember not doing this. Yeah, this is it's
1: been over a year, even crazy. though it's only fifty. You know, we're coming up on fifty because we skipped a few in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I well, think yeah, well, right? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and when we get to when we get to Nam next year, that'll be our two year anniversary of just the shot the of this podcast.
1: Yeah. There you uh, go. So we're, we're I'm never well going to talk it.
0: about <laughs> anniversaries and
1: our child together again. But <laughs> but, but is, I at, don't know how you even established an anniversary. I mean it's just 49 episodes. I don't know how we would Because in
0: two years it'll be the same time. Once we get to <laughs> NAM, it's like that was the dinner. That was the dinner where See, for you, you were just going to dinner and you're like, hey, someone someone at MD will slide the card and I will get an amazing steak dinner. (laughs) My thought was I was on the way to the dinner telling Amber, like, I really hope they're going to go for this podcast idea because I think it could really reach a lot of people. And I think it could help people feel the way I felt when I was reading Modern Drummer as a kid. So it was a big deal for me, even if it didn't mean anything to you. Mr. I, Dawson,
1: I think I had the salmon. By the way,
0: <laughs> I had the halibut. <laughs> uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. How's everything going?
1: Uh, good. It's been a pretty good week. I um, got a lot done over the weekend, just recording stuff for the magazine. A lot of demos. It's like a the gear comes in in waves. Where all of a sudden I've got a stack full of snare drums and stuff. So I and cymbals. So I got to. I'm reviewing the new uh, Zildjian Avidus series. Yeah, so I demoed those over the weekend, and Noble and Cooley is is reviving. We'll talk a lot really? more about them. Yeah, they've got a oh. a big push to kind of come back to the fold. Good. So they, I used to they,
0: I used to have that um, that black aluminum snare drum they made. That is uh, a beast. Yeah, I had that for a long time, and then yeah. uh, Will Kennedy was playing a full Noble and
1: Cooley kit, and he was yep. one of my idols at the time. So wow, that's great. Yeah. So they dropped off three drums that I've been checking out. They're all great stuff, as you would expect. So it's been. You know that and I uh I've been waiting to refurbish my Ludwig Vista light kit because I needed hoops and Angel Drum sent some hoops to put on it. Oh which makes it sound great, but those things are heavy, dude. It yeah. turned my Vista Light kit into a tank.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's surprising. Cause you see them as single flange tubes and it's like, Oh, these are like the little dinky suicide. These are going to thin out my drums and yeah, no, no, they're they're the real deal. They are Uh,
1: stainless steel blades.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm kind of addicted to mine. I mean, my, my two main snares, um, 14 by five and a half USA solid aluminum. And, and then my main snare, which is, uh, my 14 by five and a half USA custom maple snare drum. Uh, They have the angel hoops on them and I'm, I'm addicted
1: to them, so yeah, they're pretty great. So I refinished those over the weekend, or just put new hopes on it. And Drumlight sent me their uh, light kit to review, so I installed those on them. You had to, yeah. Well, that that kit originally was the ones that had lights in it. I oh, think really? I, yeah, it came with like a. I mean, it's archaic. I when I when I got the kit. I originally tried to figure out how to find the parts, but it was... I mean, even the way that the electrical was hooked up, it was like 1965 technology. <laughs> so that had to come out. It was kind of... I didn't want to like gut them, but I kind of had to. Plus, the lights, when I when I pulled them out, the the plastic just shattered. So it wasn't could like... you imagine
0: trying to explain LEDs to John Bonham? Be like, look, man,
1: <laughs> if you could
0: just hang on for another 30 years, 40 years, we've got this. We're yeah. going to... F- uh, that's 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 cool, man. And then, what is your Vistalite a Jelly Bean kit?
1: What is it? I, I haven't seen it's it. It's what they called Tequila Sunrise. So oh it's yeah, like red, orange, and yellow. Mm hmm. But cool. is it
0: is it a is it a fade or is it like three
1: tiered three segments? Completely separate? Yeah, it's like three chunks. So yep. it's a red stripe on the bottom side, an orange stripe in the middle, and a yellow on top. I think oh, that's, that's the order. Awesome, but it looks great with the lights and drum lights, which, I, again, I'll be reviewing more in detail. But they're LED strips that just stick right onto the shell. It's, it couldn't be easier, and they come with a, a, a snake. So you can connect everything to a remote controller that you can adjust the color, and you can make it flicker wow. or fade and do all kinds of really cool stuff. So That's awesome. I think I'm going to take that kit to a gig this weekend and just kind of freak just everybody out. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. There's nothing that says pocket
0: like a Vista light with LED lights, just strobing. Yeah, <laughs> it says that guy takes his pocket seriously. He cares about the craft. Yeah, oh, that's man. awesome. So that was very. Cool. It was a fun kind of nerdy weekend for me. Very cool. And then you mentioned to me that you finished up um, a cover story. How often do you actually do cover stories? Is it
1: all the time, or is it maybe just a few times a year? We tried each of us, the to do at least one cover story a year. Okay. Uh, so, but this is. I did Dom Famularo, and I'm doing this one. So I think I've done two this year. Cool. Which is is a little bit much because I love doing it, and it's super fun, but it, it can really kind of get the rest of your workload pushed kind of yeah. off schedule. So, like, I'm just finishing the cover story, and I really should be working on the next issue already. Gotcha. So there's, like, no breathing time, but it's still super fun. And this this story in particular literally changed my outlook on on what it means to be a great drummer. I mean, the guy is every word he says it's, it's, he's kind of like a Yoda type guy where sure it's just all truth and, oh, that's cool. You know, man. Straight to the point And, and, and it kind of sets the bar like, okay, yes, I want to be a session drummer and I would love to play as well as Shannon Forrest. Do I have the mentality of Shannon Forrest? Like yeah. that's the next step. Can I get my focus to be so intense? And, and he kept using the word excellence which again, I think we should talk about that more in a later episode. But like, if if you're always in pursuit of excellence, then there's really no way you'll fail, right? Because you're, you're establishing this. Like, I I refuse to put down a track that I don't think is excellent. I wow. refuse to leave the studio if it's not excellent. So that that's one, really cool. That's just a little nugget of it. So he's he's actually touring with Toto. It's coming up on his second year, I think, or maybe maybe he's been out for two years. So an entire band of excellence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's inheriting the drum throne f- from Jeff Picaro, who gave it to Simon Phillips, who gave it to Keith Carlock, Keith. and yep. now Shannon <laughs> Farr. So it's that's incredible. That's drum royalty. Wow. Yeah, and so it, I and just finished that.
0: It must be a lot. Now, do you do you pitch yourself for certain cover stories? Do you say like, "Hey, I want that one. That's one of my guys. I look up to that guy," or did you just get assigned?
1: That story—it's always different. I okay. mean, it's, it usually when we come up with ideas, sometimes a writer will pitch it, so you got to give them kind of writer first refusal. But when we just come up with our own ideas, we usually go, like, "Do we have a writer who'd be great for this, or would one of us be better for it?" And gotcha, Shannon. It's he and I have been friends since he played the festival, whenever that was, five six years ago, right? So and and his he's kind of my ultimate hero of what I want to be doing. So just obvious like i i have to do that one like i i have the the questions i want him to ask him so man
0: it seems like it would be on the outside looking in it seems like it'd be more fun to do a cover story like that but on the inside it seems like it might be more daunting because you care so much about the person and you want to get the story across the way that you that you that it's touched you i can see obsessing over it more than anything else
1: yeah and the other side of it is um when you're a fan of someone you might over you might overshoot some of the simpler questions and the sim- simpler topics so like i like when i interviewed chris adler of lamb of god i had to become a fan of lamb of god so i already had just by studying the band i had like hundreds of just questions that that just sim- from simple stuff how do you do this to what your right. set up like things that i just didn't you know i am just curious cuz i didn't know him i didn't know how the band became successful i didn't know that he was left-handed and he plays on a right-handed kit like all this right. stuff but with Shannon, it's like I I'm kind of like up to my neck in his thing, right? So I don't really care about what drumsticks he uses, you right. know? <laughs>
0: like. Yeah, no. If I could see it becoming personal, like, okay, look, I've always wanted to know this, <laughs> yeah. And the readers are like, whoa, 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 wait, I don't even know when he started. And it's like, don't yeah. worry about it. I can. I'll tell you. Just call me. I'll tell you when he started. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, congratulations. I'm, I'm glad you got the story done, and I'm, I'm more excited for you just because I know that. It's good for you as a player to have that kind of access to your heroes and then to try to integrate it into your own personal
1: drumming. Yeah, I told him it was basically a free two-hour lesson just talking to him. I mean, it was – and I hope the story becomes that for everyone reading it because I tried to – like, he's he's not one to answer questions very specifically. He kind of lets himself go in various conceptual directions and I and I left tried to leave that as much as possible. So and it, and those are the best for me. The best interviews because you have to read them a couple times, and then and you have to kind of yeah. dig in. It's not like, you know, what snare drum did you use on this song? And here's the answer. Okay, well you read it once, you know the answer. Right. His answers you can kind of read a few times and start peeling back the onion, and yeah, it's like oh, what is really the what is he really getting that? So
0: and maybe they mean maybe
1: each answer means something different to every person reading exactly so, yeah, that's so. Cool yeah, so that's a very cool thing yes awesome. that's coming out in a couple of months we'll obviously we'll come back to him but yes yeah, so that was that so you did not have a camp this week i had two weeks off wow was, uh, what did you was... do did you just like eat bonbons and watch married uh, with children and that's what, exactly that's <laughs> yes in
0: 1997 <laughs> i did but uh now i had my green tea and i watched fixer upper and <laughs> uh no i uh Man, I practiced a lot. I haven't practiced in a while. That's good. And I went back. Okay, so I would say around the time that I did the London drum show, I had really started to define who I was as a player. And that's when that whole on that same trip that was the Russ Miller, you know, slapping me in the face kind of thing right. in a good way. Well, then then I took a year off to develop the new com and and then camp season started and all of a sudden I was like, man, I've kind of forgotten who I am. My drumming mm. is turning into these you know, 15- to 30-second chunks made for the Internet. It's yep. not set for drum festivals. So I spent the last two weeks redefining what I want to be as a drummer so that my practice can have direction. I can practice all day long. I have a great lifestyle that provides me free time to practice. I can practice with tons of focus on the material. The problem is, is the material anywhere related to my actual goals as a musician well if you don't have goals as a musician how would you know if the material you're practicing is related so mm-hmm. i didn't really have a, a lot of direction so I, I spent this last two weeks just kind of redefining what i wanted to be and what really triggered it was seeing somebody posted an old 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 video of keith carlock when he was like maybe in his late oh teens. yeah he was playing with some intensity yeah and I was like, that's right. That's what actually – Keith was actually a huge influence to me in this thing of like, well, he's grooving, but he's soloing. But there's no pocket, but there's tons of pocket. It yeah. was it was a very Keith Carlock thing. And I remember it being a big influence on me a few years ago. And seeing him do it at a younger age just reminded me, that, yeah, that's – there's part of the DNA that I want to create the super drummer of is a little bit of the – of Keith, because Keith was the first guy be, before Mark actually. Keith was the first guy that opened my eyes to wait, I could play jazz and I don't have to swing. Yeah. Because swing has always been my fear of jazz. It's like I'm, I got ripped a long time ago by a saxophone player and it, it stayed with me forever. You know, it was oh, just like, yeah. dude, just play quarter notes. You cannot swing. And I, I was like a teenager. I was like yeah. I was like a kid. And it was like this seventy five year old dude from San Francisco and he just ripped me and it was like it stuck with me forever. But then but I always loved the improvisation of jazz. And when I saw Keith play, I was like, that's jazz phrasing. He's just not he's just playing in sixteenths. I could mm-hmm. do that. So anyways, so I spent this last two weeks really focusing on kind of finding who I want to be so that I can get ready to be that next year. Cause I have a lot of clinics and festivals coming up in 2017. So did that. Uh, I've got a ladies camp starting on Saturday. So I'm really excited about that. Nice. Uh, I think we're doing two ladies camps this year. I can't remember if it's one or two, but this has four returning ladies that I've worked with in the past. And then four new ones. We've got, uh, a woman coming from Panama. We've got two women coming from the UK. And then I believe the rest are Americans, maybe a Canadian or so. Um, So yeah, so I'm excited about that. And we're shooting a pilot for, I don't, I wouldn't call it a reality TV show because it's definitely not that. It's just the people that are shooting the pilot to do the documentary are from the home improvement world of, I guess what you would call reality TV. So they've done a bunch of stuff for HGTV, but these are people that are really, and the the show is not based on myself or Amber or anything at all. It's based off of the journey of these ladies through the week because it's a, it's a tough week. Wow. So they have to sign off like yep. papers and everything. Mhm. Yeah. I had to call all of them individually and just make sure they knew like hey, I have 6 cameras here, but there's going to be one more on the shoulder of a man that has a light. <laughs> And then a, a female producer just in the back. Natural. Just, yeah, be, just natural. be natural. Just uh, be natural. So you know that time where you're scared out of your mind to get on my stage and play in front of everybody. We're gonna put somebody right
1: on you. Uh, yeah. um, and please cry. I really, really want you to cry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, I had you scheduled to cry at six, but we're gonna do dinner. Can you can you cry at five thirty? That's and that's really that's why this is a pilot is because. When I was talking to the producer, I was telling her you know, she's very interested in telling beautiful stories. And I said, we have that in every camp. The problem is the camp goes from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days in a row. I can't tell you when those beautiful moments are going to happen. And once I learned a little bit more about what's going on, the cost is astronomical to film this stuff. So it's not like, well, we'll just be there all day. It's like, no, 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 we've budgeted this amount, which – is a huge amount of money. And I don't mean me. I mean they. They've budgeted this amount. And that, and they they chop it up. They'll say, that gives us four half days. So when are the best times to be there? And so it's like, oh, wow. I'm going to have to look at the schedule and think, okay, well, you should definitely be there in the beginning because you need to see everybody yeah, getting just, there. Yeah, getting there. You have to be there on day two where everybody wants to fly home because they just <laughs> realized uh, this is hard. You need to be there on day four when they accept their limitations and then you need to be there at the end when they've overcome everything through bonding. But my the biggest goal for this, just so everybody knows, is – Whatever these ladies are about to go through, there must be millions of people out there in the world that, are going, that would be going through the exact same thing. And it doesn't have to do with drums. So this is not a drum documentary at all. I really don't know how much drumming will actually be in it whatsoever. It will be a life documentary. So, so nice. that starts. Um, and then this is the craziest thing ever, but I don't think – even including my parents, I don't think anyone's ever bought me a snare drum. And Nate, the guy that does our cameras here – he bought me a 14 by six and a half Gretsch bronze. Oh, sorry. Gretsch copper uh, snare drum. Uh, now because wait a minute, why? Okay. Exactly. Why would you <laughs> buy me a Gretsch snare drum?
1: <laughs>
0: I can call Gretsch. <laughs> so a little while ago, Gretsch sent me the 14 by six and a half copper snare drum. It's the only six and a half I own. I don't own any six and a halves. and it is, it could be on any country album in Nashville. It is just the fattest dopest snare ever. So he's in a country cover band. And I said, Nate, bro, just take the snare for your gig tonight. Like I, I want you to take it. If you like it, you know, maybe someday you'll buy one. But I want you to take it and just try it out because he he ha- he doesn't have a snare that's meant for his gig. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so uh, he took it and boy did he drop it. Oh and, no! And it didn't just drop; it rolled <laughs> down the down. He was at a casino and he was doing the cart thing. And as the cart kind of went off the curb, the snare jumped off the cart and then I guess just rolled down the parking lot, just going ta ding ta ding ta-ting,
1: ta-ting. Oh,
0: man. So That's he, brutal. Yeah, he came back the next day and he was a little different. And I'm like, <laughs> you good, bud? And he's like, bro, he, Nate is the sweetest, most honest cat ever. He goes... Uh, I gotta show you your snare, and I'm like, and I am not emotionally attached to gear at all. So he showed me, and I'm like, dude, it's scratched. I don't care. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And he's totally apologizing. I'm like, Nate, I I really don't care. It's scratched. Big deal. Drums get scratches. Yeah. And yeah, then yesterday, or I guess day before yesterday, he's like, hey, did you get your package at the bike store? I'm like, no. And he's like, you should go up there. So I go up there, and there's a Gretsch box. I'm like, what? He bought me a snare drum, brand new on eBay. Not he didn't call Gretsch. And he oh, was like, "I'm wow. really sorry, man. And when you borrow somebody's gear, you're taking the responsibility that if you break it, you buy it." And I dropped your snare drum, and I, I'm like, "And I mean, I don't want to get too personal, but Nate's not like a millionaire running around balling. I mean, this is this is a huge deal. This is a very expensive snare drum. You know, yeah. it's a USA custom." Uh, 14 by six and a half and bronze or copper so so yeah he bought me a brand new snare drum and uh, wow what a great guy yeah really cool because I told him I said I, I can call Gretch and see if you can buy that one from them at like maybe their cost or whatever but honestly that just puts me in a weird place I, I just I just would rather not make that call So, so anyways, uh, yeah, he, it was really cool. So I've got a a new 14 by six and a half and, uh, and what's cool is that one means more to me than any drum I've ever gotten in my life because of how I got it. And And ironically,
1: it's a deep drum that you don't use normally,
0: (laughs) but I'm going to use it all the time now. Uh, I'll just make a bass drum out of it. But, and the cool thing is he's obviously now he can keep the other one. So. But that one, those scratches mean something to him. So yeah, yeah, it, right. it worked out really good. So, That's Yeah, great. man. All right. You want to get into some education? You skipped over your trip to Aquarian. Ah. Well, how about I'll give you a brief synopsis on it, and then we can talk more about it in, in depth. But pretty much uh, I'm going to Aquarian Drumheads to do some R&D. And I'm really excited because I didn't get to do any of the r and D. I didn't get to do any of the development when we made – the my signature sticks. It was more that I would just tell them what I wanted. They would try something and then they'd send me a prototype because they're in Boston, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh and then same thing with the ride symbol. I can't go to Turkey and sit there on the dirt floor while the guy hammers it and be like, uh a (laughs) little more wash, if you don't mind. (laughs) So it's just it's just kind of a weird disconnected process where luckily Aquarian I can actually drive there. It's a six hour drive to Southern California. So Lately, I've been having trouble finding that great balance between a single-ply texture coated, which would give me all the attack that I want. I want more click out of my toms, but I'm not mm-hmm. willing to go to clear. Single-ply texture coated, great, but it's a little too much tone for me, and during drum camps, it's just not durable enough. Yeah. Um, and Honestly, even, it wouldn't even be durable enough for me personally. Once I get to clinics and festivals and I'm hitting harder than normal because of the nerves, I'm going to dent the crap out of it. So I just asked Chris Brady at Aquarian, would you mind if we just – could we just sit in a room and brainstorm and come up with that dream head that has all the attack and, and everything that you would get in a single-ply head but has a little bit more durability like a double-ply head? Because my double-ply heads right now, I'm using the Response 2, and that's the same as a Emperor-coated or an Evans G2-coated. Right. That's two 7-mil plies, and it's just a little thuddy for me. Yeah.
1: Do they Um, still make the super thins?
0: They make the super two, which is like the super thin. So the super two and the super thin, that was a five mil and a seven mil together. Okay. So they do make that, but it's not, a lot of people don't even know they make it. So, and I'm wide open to this whole thing. It's like, let's sit down. Maybe it's just rebranding something that's already being made. That's fine. But, or maybe it's coming up with something new. But my thought is, I don't know what's allowed to be changed. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to find out. Can we change the coding, or do they say no, no, no? It's a proprietary blend. We can never change the coding. Okay, well, I don't know that. Yeah. Uh, can we change the size of the hoop? You know, and how it sits on the drum shell. Can we change? Can we try two five mil plies and make a a ten mil thick head, but out of two plies? And the reason why you wouldn't just go with one ten mil ply, which they already make, the two plies themselves—that's what's creating the muffled tone. It's yeah. the space between them. Uh, and the and the durability as well. So we're just going to sit down for an entire day and just make prototypes. I'm so excited. That's awesome. You know? Get to see like, some robots in action. Exactly. And just like, like, all right, well, let's try this and let's see what happens if the guy that's spraying the coating on stands three feet further away. Maybe it doesn't get as much coating. Let's, what happens if the if I tickle the guy that's spraying the coating on? Does that... Do we make the new, you know? Oh, lordy. <laughs> Goodness gracious. All right. So I'm excited about that. Let's cool, talk yeah, education. So we'll, we'll update oh, yeah. on that
1: when you get back. Yeah, that definitely. Like a great trip to do a Yeah, I'm excited. On.
0: And whatever we come up with, I'll send you some prototypes of it, and you can try it out just, just as a drummer, not even to review it or anything. Dig it. Cool, man. So I wanted to talk to you about developing ostinatos and breaking down, for those of you that probably are somewhat new to the drums, Maybe you've heard the term ostinato before, but you never really knew what it meant in in regards to drumming. And it's definitely a rite of passage. It's the first time that most drummers realize what four-way independence is because your feet are doing something and then your hands are trying to create some sort of independence over the top of that. So for me, ostinato boiled down to its simplest form has always meant repeated pattern. What does ostinato mean for you? That's it. Just a repeated figure. Yep. That's it. Okay, good. So we have that, Uh and then you have um, (laughs) – was was it Thomas Lang that said MPOs? I think in his first DVD he was like – He's like, let's work on some MPOs, multi-pedal ostinatos. Um, oh, wow.
1: MPO. It makes me think of, I don't know if you have sheets on the West Coast, but that's MTO, made-to-order subs. No. Oh, <laughs> we, we got to check that out, man. It's like a gas station with a deli in it. Yikes. High Yikes. quality. High quality. MTOs. So,
0: <laughs> so, generally, you take an ostinato. Now, it could be just one limb, but for myself, I wanted to talk to Mike about... Uh, using foot ostinatos. So your feet are playing these repeated patterns and both feet are usually playing something different than each other. And then you try to build up freedom with your hands over that. So when you start a brand new ostinato, if you were doing say a tumbao with your bass drum and then a two, three sewn clave, I promise you this guys playing quarter notes on the snare drum over the top of that is wicked hard. Yeah. So my, my question for you is when did ostinatos make their way into your drumming and did you learn specific ones that we have names for, or did you just start making up your own?
1: If you're talking about foot ostinatos yes. in, in particular. Um, it, it was probably samba when I, when I was okay. started studying that. So that's that. your that. first
0: multi-pedal ostinato?
1: Yeah. So it was, <laughs> you know, the the feeder plan, the the basic samba pattern and the hands were just going through. Started out like stick control, so it was all sixteenth notes and being okay. able to change the sticking of that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is its own challenge. And then it moved into can I play um, a third assonato on the ride cymbal, so and then can I like play like syncopation examples with the left hand? Right. Yeah. That's, it was definitely that. And then as I got into Afro-Cuban music, it became the tumbao and those types of figures. So that it was foot assonatos are probably almost always Latin based for me, just because sure. that's the style. I don't do a lot of uh, I don't do a lot of progressive rock or things where that would be a like a figure to repeat right. over but I did study uh, the new breed and I've talked about it a hundred times so a lot of the ostinatos in that are foot ostinatos and then you read rhythms with the hands over top so I kind of right. established that just that was a completely devoid of musical context from like middle school through high school I practiced that stuff every day with the goal being complete freedom to do anything i want at any time so i could have a ostinato between either limb or three limbs or one limb and play anything i want with the other three that was the goal no real musical context to that okay it was when i started studying latin music that it became right the feet have to keep going and now can i solo over top of that
0: yeah or or even play the grooves that are required to play i mean you know even if you're playing a jazz samba you still have to play samba with your feet right you know the straightened version of the jazz ride symbol and then your left hand has to have complete freedom uh but yeah I, I think some people encounter this stuff because of school band i remember i remember in school band before learning anything about ostinatos or advanced drum set independence we had a samba in a jazz chart in junior high and it was like uh okay i don't i don't know what this is i have no i'm not ready for this and mm. i remember i couldn't play i had to play the samba bass drum pattern because i could do that and then i played 16th on the hi-hat the whole time but i never used the left foot at all and okay. and we had percussionists so I, I didn't have to really do everything but i i had no freedom i remember that's probably the most handcuffed i've ever felt to a drum set was playing the samba foot ostinato with my bass drum only and then 16th on the hi-hat with just some variation on the accents But even looking in the floor Tom's direction gave me nerves. I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I can't leave this. If I leave this, the whole thing will fall apart. And they're like, yeah, just give me some variations on the snare
1: drum. And I'm like, it's, yeah, Mr. LaFranche, that's so not going to happen. You know what kind of helped me get over that was I was watching Peter Erskine's second video, Everything is Timekeeping Part 2. Okay. I think it is. And that's when he talks about uh, more Latin kind of styles. And he basically says, you can still play a samba, and just play quarter notes on the bass drum. If you just put the emphasis on the two and the four, yeah, and that for me was like, ah, oh, thank you. I don't have to keep that, but don't, but don't, going, <laughs> you know, which, which is kind of, you don't play it with a nice touch. It's, it's really not very cool to do, oh, that yeah, forever. No, uh, when we,
0: when we do uh, samba lessons here at camp, or if we do bossa nova stuff. I have to show them a lot of traditional Brazilian music be- to make them understand I'm like, hey, go ahead and identify the bass drum for me. And they're like, yeah. I don't hear it. And I'm like, exactly. Yeah. So stop doing it's not Yeah. It's not Lars Ulrich playing a samba. That's not what I'm looking for here. I need you to fill up the room with this yeah. low end hum that has this and then yeah, I mean if you have the touch to doom to doom to doom do doom to doom then that's great too. So I, yeah, I think once I learned what ostinatos were, I had the same thing as you. I thought – my thought was anything I can do with my hands on a practice pad, I need to be able to do that over my ostinatos. So uh, my progression personally was samba. Uh, so we have Brazil. Then I skipped over to Cuba for tumbao. Then I went back to Brazil for Bio. And then I went back to Cuba and did uh, Tumbao stuff with different left foot claves just because mm-hmm. Horacio came here and yep. changed yep. our lives. Yep. I that for a couple years before yep. I gave up on it. <laughs> and then Antonio Sanchez came and was like, Yeah, why don't we put that in 7 8? And I was yeah. like, Good God. Stop. Modern <laughs> yeah. drummer, stop putting out these festivals. I can't keep up. And then, uh, yeah. And, and then eventually, that's when I realized wait a minute. I don't live in Cuba. I don't live in Brazil. I can. Austinados became a way for me to play drum solo stuff and they they gave me time to breathe because i could be ripping on my hands with a samba underneath and then i could just stop playing with my hands and i still had this doom chicka doom chicka doom 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 right and right. i could think you know but but the audience it wasn't like i stopped so then i realized so i could do eighth notes on the left foot and samba on the bass drum yep like there's no as long as I'm not in a musical context, there's no rules for this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. I started doing splash close close, splash, close, close. I would do like a tumbao with my bass drum, and then my hi hat would play ch 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 which was mimicking what I'd heard somebody play on a shake a day. And that became, you know, like it was so much freedom to think I could make up my own ostinatos, And then I'd watch Thomas Lang solo and I was yeah. like MPOs. <laughs> multi pedal ostinato for him is a
1: little different than it is for me, but you know, it reminds me of uh, I forgot about Dennis Chambers. I mean he he mm. definitely established that for me as for like a drum solo concept doing the uh, straddling the hi hat and the double pedal with his left foot and then playing, like, constant sixteenth note triplets by doing one left and two rights. Yep. He, yeah, he still does that. And then he would do, like, a two over three, so the left foot was playing eighth notes and the right foot was playing triplets. Mm-hmm. And he would just solo for hours over that thing. And it was the same thing. He would take breaks. Like, even sometimes in clinics, he would gimmick, like, take water, like, drink a glass of water while that thing kept going, or, like, towel himself off. Yeah. And it was great. I mean, so, yeah, that was... Might have been the first time that I thought, like, that's cool, let me... Let me try to do a jump solo over that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And
0: then it's I mean it's endless. I would take syncopation and say, okay, I'm gonna play a constant double stroke role, but syncopation is the accents inside the roll over the bio. And and then same thing that I would do, you know, uh so if I was doing, say, bio with the feet, uh dung tun ch dung ch tun ch and then maybe jazz, ride, straighten, ding, chick ding I would do Syncopation with the left hand, like normal, and then it's like, well, let me change the ride to one en, two en, three en, four en, yeah. and the one that still screws me up to this day is so, da-da-ding, da-da-ding, yeah. a one uh So da ding da da ding da da ding da da ding. Oh god, I, I can't get it. I I, I just and it, and the the thing is, it's not like I put effort into it and can't get it. I put no effort into it, can't get it, and then. I'm just frustrated, but I never, I never stopped to be like, wait a minute, you put 162 hours into jazz samba and you've put 11 minutes into this yet. Your frustrations s- suggest that you've put equal amount of time and that's not the case. So I'm sure I could get it if I put the time in, but I think sometimes we just see like the immediate practical application in our heads and think, yeah, I'm not going to use that. So I'm not going to put the time into it. So. I think
1: that's one that Daphnis Prieto kind of uses to great effect like really yeah to put in the accents on the e's so it kind of yeah. gives him that never settling down kind of feel it's busy there's definitely some music in that one but maybe I if i it see
0: it and see somebody else do it but yeah that's always even if i was playing just a basic funk groove to play that rhythm on the hi hats that just it's just a weird one for me for whatever you know, one reason.
1: that i just recently threw my sticks against the wall was <laughs> Doing like a, a basic shuffle, like a okay. traditional Chicago shuffle or a Texas shuffle and accenting the uhs on the ride cymbal or oh. the hi-hat. And then did, still trying did, to get did, the strong did, backbeats. Yeah. It, yeah. That was like, why can't I do this? Like, what yeah. is wrong with me? It's so funny this? when you find those things
0: where you're like, I'm pretty sure on my recent YouTube video, I played 16 <laughs> trillion notes inside of one bar. But I can't accent the uhs. Of a a shuffle shuffle. pattern. Good. It's gracious. It never ends, man. It never Never ends. ends. Well, guys, definitely check out. um, There's a lot of things that would help you with this. If you're already somewhat advanced, I would check out uh, what's it called? Uh, Kim Plainfield's book. I think it's just called Advanced Concepts. Yeah. Advanced Concepts by Kim Plainfield. He has a lot of stuff for Samba, Bossa Nova. uh, I'm sorry, Samba, Tumbao, and Bio in there. And then. If you just want to get into this, but you can already play, you can already read, definitely check out Chuck Silverman's line of books. He has the, I think it's called Practical Applications, but he has it for Brazilian and Afro-Caribbean and stuff. What other books would you suggest, besides doing the new breed thing? I think that's kind of the nuts and bolts. Are there any books that you've seen that are more geared uh, towards Afro-Cuban stuff?
1: The one that I, I really tried to get through was Horacio's book, um, I don't remember. Conversations in clave. So that's have, a hard one, dude. Yeah, you're playing the clave in in the right hand and doing all the possible variations with the other three limbs, and then he switches around. So that is like a that's a workbook. It's really kind of an independence book based on Afro-Cuban totally. styles. So that's a that's a bear, and not even if you if you never want to play Latin music, it doesn't really matter. It's just no, really it's hard ostinatos and really it's really clear cut the progression, but. I think I got maybe three or four pages in. I'm like, okay, I think I got
0: out I of I got this. to 3-2, uh, rumba clave with the right hand, and then as soon as it was paradiddles between the left hand and the bass drum, I was like, yeah, I'm out. I tap out. <laughs> you win, Horacio. You the man. I am not. You are very fast. I am very slow. My hair is receding. Yours is not. And whatever else you need to, me to concede
1: to, you win. <laughs> I, mean, I, I saw was, him at a clinic probably 15 years ago in a really small ballroom. And, and he's an intense player. Like, yeah, he he plays full out no matter what. And he had that jam block on the on the left foot, and and no microphones, but that thing was incessant. So he probably played a forty five minute drum solo with that jam block right. clave going, and it was so incessant that it it literally put everyone in the room into a hypnotic trance. Like you look around and like some people are sleeping. Like how can you sleep through that? But it was just <laughs> so much that people were just like oh i'm done <laughs> i'm done you win you're the best that is hard
0: yeah that's uh but he keeps that going man
1: yeah it was like going. an hour it was about an hour drum solo of of a jam block playing a, co- a rumba clock. It's, it's funny
0: man like i can't play that long i i and i have people who come to the you know to my place and they'll sit down I'm like yeah go ahead and check out my kit and they're like 15 minutes deep and they haven't looked up and i'm like are you not aware of time <laughs> I could sit on your kit right now at your house, Mike, and I would play for two minutes max and be like, cool, man. Uh, you want to try out some different microphones? Yeah, like, exactly. I'm not Three that minutes. guy. Yeah, I'm I a think pop sometime, song guy. I think people sometimes grow up without a drum set. So when they get to one, they're going to get everything in, man. So awesome. <laughs> well, hopefully that gives you guys some insight on the world of ostinatos. Now let's get into our featured artist. This time it is Craig Blundell.
1: Uh, I'm assuming Craig is featured in the new issue of Modern Drummer. He is in the August Issue, which is just out now. He is the drummer for Steve Wilson's band. And Steve Wilson is, I believe he's the primary songwriter for Porcupine Tree, but he has his own solo project. And I think Marco Miniman recorded the album. but Okay. So Craig took over for the live gigs, and so he had to basically step into Marco Miniman's shoes. So speaking of a guy Jeez with Louise. incredible technique and independence... And interdependence based yeah. off of his book right, right, extreme interdependence,
0: I believe oh my goodness, I forgot about how extreme it was, <laughs> uh, and it actually is we 're making light of it, but I, I opened that book. I remember when it came out, I opened that book, and I was like, yeah, I think I'm good uh, that's page one is too much for me
1: yeah, so Craig is you know that's it's probably a really awesome fun gig once you get comfortable, but even yeah. in the story, a lot of the story is kind of about the anxiety of doing that kind of a gig and being thrust into the you know because that's kind of like a musician's band so everyone is right that's going to see them is just is not everyone but most people are, are musicians yeah so you know they're out there It's like going to the ultimate clinic like yeah they're judging everyone's out there like i can do that or i could totally do that he's oh not marco he's not as good as marco yeah yeah you know? i could <laughs> i could definitely
0: see the i came here i paid money to be here so i could make myself feel better about myself because i'm going to rip this person up <laughs> right um and then hopefully you go there. Even the haters go there, and then they leave, going like, "Yeah, that was pretty amazing."
1: Yeah, I mean he kills it. There's there's tons and tons of video content online of him playing with this band or with his own stuff, and because he did a, a lot of clinics for Roland over the past yeah. few years, so that's, that's kind of how I'm, I met him. Yeah, me too. It was a Nam. He was kind of doing the Roland booth demos for mm-hmm. their triggers and stuff. So he's he is a monster, monster drummer. Um, he's
0: he's, and he's a great educator, uh, very smart guy and very, very nice. Uh, we've had quite a few dealings online uh, between each other and he's just been nothing but a sweetheart. Uh, I remember I, I feel really bad. I mean, he actually reached out to me at one point about doing some anti-bullying campaign stuff. And it was like right in the middle of me just flying to a different country every day. And it was just horrible timing but just the fact that he even reached out and cares about that and and you could tell he wasn't like hey Let's promote that we're against bullying. he was like, we need to do something about this, so yeah um, yeah, he's a good dude man um and then have you ever i've actually uh I've never seen him play in person except for on a rolling kit,
1: so is all the stuff that you've seen from him just video content? yeah, I've never seen him live, but there I mean a lot of the stuff on his YouTube channel is kind of hybrid mm-hmm. kits, so it's acoustic kit with some pads and triggers and stuff, and uh, you know a mix of everything, so he's kind of i mean he's do you got know do you know where he stuff. lives now? I'm pretty sure he's based in London, but yeah. I don't okay. know
0: for sure. Well, yeah. definitely, if you guys get a chance, because I think when he's not touring, I'm pretty sure he he does some lessons and stuff. There's You can go to his website. It's just Craig Blundell. It's B-L-U-N-D-E-L-L, craigblundell.com. And there's tons of videos of him there. Uh, you can check out different recordings he's done. He's actually got this page called Quick Sticks, which is... Just little tiny, tiny PDF snippets of different sticking patterns and stuff. Oh, cool. So, yeah, it's it's good stuff. But um, and He's if, an aquarium
1: artist. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He's using uh, the high-velocity snare batter. What's your thoughts on that thing? That's,
0: that's a durable that's, beast, isn't that it? That is for the big kids. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually, uh, I think right now, and there's still some more studies to be done, but if you hit that head with a 7A, it'll shatter your 7A stick. That's that's I think that's science. That's that's a fact. Yeah, that's that's a man's it has head. Teeth. That yeah. <laughs> it, it is a. Man. I actually used to use that head back in the day with Simon Says, uh, just because Chris Brady. You know, I came to him. That was you know, I was definitely not getting free drum heads at the time. I didn't have a full endorsement, and I said, uh, yeah, I can't afford to go through heads. And he's like, I'll send you the high velocity. One will last you a full tour. Did it and I'm like. Uh, yeah! Oh, yeah. yeah! Yeah, those things
1: are yeah. Those are beasts. I, I reviewed the Evans heavyweight a few months okay. back, and I I put it on this this cast steel like thirty pound tank that I use with this hard rock band, and gosh, I mean it's been I say a few months. It's probably been going on since NAM. So really, six months of a couple times a month, just wailing on it as hard as I possibly can for an hour plus at a time, and it it's definitely not dented out of shape yeah no so these heads, these these and you know what the tone is good and i i 've used the high velocity as well, and i 'm surprised at how good the tone is,
0: yeah, especially you know you 're not playing symphonic music on it i mean you 're going you right. 're going to lay into it, so I think they do great for what they 're meant to do, but yeah, I mean Craig is a monster, and if you guys get a chance to see him in a clinic, definitely take the opportunity. Because, uh, and then what's, so what's the name of the band that he's out with? Is it just that guy's name? Yeah, just Steve Wilson. Steve Wilson. And there, um, if you go to craigblundell.com, you can actually see videos of him playing with Steve Wilson. So you'll you get a chance to check it out. And uh, and then there's some rolling stuff on there. There's some clinic stuff. And there's some drum solo stuff. So definitely check out Craig Blundell. He's an incredible guy and an incredible artist as well. Now... Oh, boy. You know that there's nothing I like more than reviewing some good Sabian symbols. Because I have no affiliation with Meinl whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like that's the worst is when we review Zildjian and Sabian symbols <clears throat> where I'm like, okay, there's, I can't get out of this. That sounds really good. There's nothing <laughs> I can do. Uh, yeah. so, so we're uh, checking out, or you checked out, the Sabian Vanguard series,
1: right? I did yes. These were the debut for them at Winter NAM in January, and we they sent us the package shortly thereafter. So the so you remember they redid the HH series last year, so yep. they they kind of went back to the original format, a lot more hand hammering, um, thinner kind of. Models all around, so and is that why
0: they had that dude out at their booth just hammering cymbals all day? Yeah, I mean,
1: man, that's been <laughs>
0: yeah, that's that. That's I mean, wild. but I, I, honestly, that's what that was
1: kind of signaling, right? Was like, yeah, hey, it was it was them reminding everyone that hey, by the way, we do this too. It's not right. just in Turkey, right? So they the Vanguard series is the first of the unveiling of the Crescent brand that they purchased a couple of years back. So if you remember. It has been kind of following the the timeline of cymbal companies in the past few years. Crescent was a American American company that was bringing in cymbals from Turkey, and they had I think even part ownership is the jazz drummer Jeff Hamilton, Stanton Moore, Stanton Moore yeah. um, a few others. Daniel Glass was using them, so they were bring so they were this American company bringing in handmade Turkish uh, cymbals. Previously, Crescent was actually Bosphorus USA. So that was the original. Got it. The original brand that they were bringing in was Bosphorus. And Jeff USA. Hamilton and, and Stanton were part of that too, right? Yeah, that's what it sure. all started as. They were Bosphorus artists, but they were Bosphorus USA, which is different than Bosphorus Turkey just by the, the the way the business was structured. Okay. So anyway, that they decided to then just start their own thing and they rebranded it as Crescent. And then they wanted to find a source in the. In, North America to make some of their models so they weren't constantly bringing stuff over from Turkey. So that started a conversation with Sabian. So Sabian was brought on to make the Element Series, I believe, the Crescent Element Series. So those were exclusive for North America made by Sabian. And then shortly thereafter uh, the guys at Crescent sold the brand to Sabian. So Sabian just then absorbed Crescent entirely. So they I think they were still making the Crescent stuff and offering it, but then it became, all right, we're just going to absorb it, and we're going to unveil these models within some of our own stuff. And there might be some more Crescent stuff coming. I know the Stanton Moore signature line is is pending. The Jeff Hamilton hammer tone is, is pending. But the Vanguard series was their first of these Crescent models that Sabian was now manufacturing. Okay. And the their Vanguard, obviously, they're designed to be thin, kind of jazzy, like classic sounding cymbals. Not trashy, not super complex, just more right. kind of beautiful symbols. Beautiful, warm, rich, low volume kind of cymbals. Um, yeah. So I had the good fortune a couple of years ago to actually review the original Vanguards from Crescent, and then these. So I I have a very distinct memory of what the Crescent sounded like, plus audio recordings. And I got the HH Vanguards to compare them to, so that was kind of fun to be like, "How close did they get to the original?" Did they? <laughs> Pretty close. Uh, these are definitely cleaner sounding. Okay. Less so breath. Less they're more Sabian. Yes, they have that kind of Sabian. I don't know what it is. Focus kind of yep. pitch. It's just a focus thing. But they're they're not not as complex. They're not as breathy. The Vanguards were definitely kind of breathy symbols. Like you've I felt like if you just touched them they would open up real fast. Right, These didn't right. quite have that, but but they're still really nice. I don't know that Sabian has anything in their line previous to this that would kind of give you that really light, delicate, you know, warm, not trashy sound. Sure. I wonder though
0: if by giving up a little bit of that breathiness and a little bit of that complexity I wonder if you're getting more consistency where if you got two of these 18-inch crashes, they would sound much similar together than maybe they would have coming from Turkey, being completely handmade, different restrictions. Um, I
1: assume so. I mean, the 16 and 18s were like Siamese twins just with a different pitch. Really? Okay. And and really, the the crashes were like the the shining pieces of the series. Like, they were just you hit them, and it's like, that is a beautiful crash symbol. I don't think I would want anything else if I just want a crash symbol.
0: And the cool thing is they don't—they're not coming in different weights, right? I mean, you just get the eight, eighteen-inch HH Vanguard. It's yeah, not like the Vanguard kind of is the thin. weight. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay, yeah. I checked out the eighteen uh, before we got on the phone, and it was just like it—it was—it was beautiful.
1: It yeah. was beautiful. Yeah, they're beautiful. The rides are, are quite thin, so I—I I call them more crash rides. And these aren't insane price-wise. I think the hats were like, God, like maybe like three.
0: 299 Is that right? No. Uh, you know, I don't know the prices. It's got to be check. a little more than that. But. No, yeah, it was. I mean, these are full professional-level symbols, but they're not insane. So 16-inch crash of uh, the Vanguard is like $299. 14 uh, yeah. inch hats, like $485 suit. So um, Lowest price, right? Yeah, let me find out. Um, no, I think um, I'm looking at the HH are these the Vanguard fast hat or it just says HH Vanguard hi hats 499 sale price okay for the hi hats but i mean these are that's that's what i would expect top level hh hi hats to be yeah uh, exactly. that's on sweetwater's website but so so what did you have
1: symbols the, whole, the whole the whole setup 16 18 crash 20 21 22 inch crash rides 14 inch hi hats i wow. think there might be a few other sizes but um, the, these were all that were available at the time and nice. They were The crashes were great. I would use them on almost anything. The rides, I would not use on anything that needed a lot of ping or, okay. or volume. So, they were definitely great with brushes and things like that. The hi-hats were kind of the eyeballs. They were they were pretty chunky and dry. Really? Not what I expected, which made them really nice if you if you play jazz and you really only use the hi-hat with your foot 90% oh, of the yeah. time. Sure. They were good for that. Sure. But once you start hitting them with the sticks, they weren't um, – they weren't yeah. what you'd expect.
0: Yeah, they weren't that, that like
1: papery vintage yep. hi-hat sound. They I weren't
0: that at all. I'm trying to develop those right now with mino um we're working on a set we're calling them we don't know what to call them right now but we're i'm calling them butter hats because i just <laughs> want hats that feel like butter <laughs> and uh but we're trying to come up with some 15 inch so right now norbert's got me playing a bunch of 15 inch tops as hi-hats yeah. yeah and mm-hmm. we're we're working on that and yeah you would think after i've only heard the crashes but after hearing the crashes you would think that those would be the hi-hats that would come in this set um yeah and I, I wouldn't call them buttery
1: they're definitely okay. chunkier sounding um, you know, Did you know now that it you'd... wasn't until Zildjian put out the new beats that hi-hats had two different weights? Really? They were just two cymbals back prior to that. I, okay,
0: I did not know that. So you just had hi-hats?
1: Yeah, they were just 14-inch hi-hats. Hi-hat so hi-hat. You could do whatever. And they were all usually wow. very thin, almost like crashes. So that's kind of... And then everyone is almost like the new beat just said, okay, now no one can ever make hi-hats that don't have this this formula. It has to be a heavier wow. bottom and a lighter top. But if you want that vintage jazz kind of papery hyatt you have to have two
0: thins when i promote the butter hats do i have to quote you on that or can i just <laughs> say it like i always knew that <laughs> guys before the newbies i mean everybody knows this so why why should we follow the man like yeah, yeah
1: cool i mean it's really and even it's really interesting because even with the the new avidus line zildjian w- would not go back on the new beat design they Formula. wouldn't take it back to the just two thin symbols. Wow, that's weird.
0: Yeah. Man, I mean, there's so much stuff that we are stuck speculating on. Like, I would love to talk to somebody at Sabian and be like, hey, why are these hi-hats just kind of so – I mean, because from what you're saying, they sound like they're fantastic hi-hats outside of the line.
1: Yeah, they're – I'm thinking – if if you're a jazz player, you mostly need the two ride. and four chick with your foot, yeah. Okay, and that a few splashes then. without it going crazy. So they have right. a nice dry, clear splash, super articulate foot sound. Uh, when you start hitting with the sticks, it just doesn't give you that papery thing. But if you have papery hi hats, the foot chick is going to be hollow.
0: That's what I'm working with with Meinl is I was I, I've got the sound I want. It's uh, right now I'm using the uh, uh, the dual. 15 inch uh dual top as the bottom and i'm using a 15 inch extra dry top as the top and i'm actually really happy with the sound of the hi-hats i'm not happy with the left foot chick and so i i I even asked, could we drill like maybe a uh uh what would you call like a like the ching ring stuff um like a jingle ring yeah uh, little tambourine guy could we drill something on there i mean what else could we do to it uh, cause if you make them wavy, like Sabian had those, uh, wavy hats, uh, on the, where the bottom was kind of wavy, uh, yeah, well, was
1: too, the master sound, the master sounds. Yeah.
0: those always were a little too trashy for me. Yeah. Uh, so especially if they're that thin, but anyways, regardless, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's not as easy as like, you should just make some really cool hi hats. <laughs> okay. Well, to get this thing, you're going to sacrifice that thing. So, yeah. well, I know that you and I had talked about in the past about possibly bringing on some industry people just to answer one or two quick questions, not a full interview, but hey, let's get somebody from Sabian's take on this. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe we can do that in the future. So,
1: yeah, awesome, sure.
0: man. Well, I'm glad you got to check them out. Let's give them a listen.
1: Time for some listener questions. Uh, you know, keep the keep the questions coming in for the fiftieth anniversary. Fiftieth anniversary. Hey, we're fifty Look years into this Look podcast.
0: At Look at us!
1: <laughs> nice, nice. Fifty episodes deep into yes. this podcast. So we've gotten quite a few audio uh, questions, which is going to be a great segment. So you can continue to send them in to mdinfo at modern dot or you can just send a text over to mdinfo at modern dot uh, we definitely have an hour's worth of, of stuff to cover, so that's yeah. great. But And the audio wanna... questions are awesome. It's so cool to hear people's voices. Yeah, it's great. And it's, they're able to kind of share a little bit of their own experience with the show. And, I mean, it's yeah. it's going to be super cool. We're going to have to figure out how we can do this live to preview it. Yeah, we'll figure that out anyway. Yeah, yeah.
0: It'll be so, very much so, like, how I feel about those Sabian symbols that I just didn't hear.
1: <laughs> they sounded great. <laughs> I'll find out tomorrow. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to do two questions just to kind of keep you know keep this segment going, but we don't want to give away all of our stuff for, for next week. So, the first one coming in from Matthew Ferraro. Yeah, he was uh, at camp. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, he had two questions. I'm just going to we're just going to tackle his um, second question. So okay. perhaps this is something that I need help with professionally. OCD, but I find that I'm constantly adjusting my kit. I feel like I don't know whether the throne should be high or low, the pedal should be loose or tight, the tom should be flat or angled, the cymbal should be low or high, and he feels like each time he makes an adjustment, it's better, but obviously he keeps changing things. So is it just me, or does every drummer go through this? Do you ever finally realize that everything is set up just right, and can you leave it be, or should he just get a grip?
0: Man that's, that's, that's a incredible. great question because that, that, that has to like go straight to the heart of all drummers. We are tinkerers by nature, yeah we're we constantly sit behind this machine of gadgets and things. yeah, we constantly <laughs> are tweaking things because we're in search for a better feel. I don't think I'm trying to think maybe I think it was a modern drummer festival. was it Billy Ward that gave the clinic on like setting up not yes. Bill Ward but Billy Ward? Yeah, because like he has a pretty strange setup, but it's yeah. designed to fit his body. Exactly. I think that was the first time that I really zoomed out and thought, okay, I'm not setting up for looks. A lot of, I mean, to be totally honest, my original drum set setups were based off of the pictures I saw in Modern Drummer. It was like, yeah. well, that's how they set it up. That's <laughs> right. the angle of, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes Taylor Hawkins with Alanis set, and I'm like, yep, my toms are going to be flat, because <laughs> his are flat. Uh which, you know, which for me at the time I had big old rock toms, it was like, oh, this doesn't really work because my tom is three inches deeper than his and it hits uh, yeah. the bass drum. So, but, anyways, I think we all do that for sure. But there, I think you hit a stride where it's like, okay, this is my general setup. It always kind of has these sub, you know, set of rules. But, yeah, I'm, I'm always tinkering a little bit. I, I don't really tinker really with the setup that much as far as kick, snare, rack, floor, and hi-hats. I would say that those are always in the same place. Mm. Um, but I notice, I don't even notice that I'm doing it, but someone else will come here after being here for two or three years and go, man, you play your cymbals really low now. I'm like, really? I, okay, I, I didn't notice. Or maybe they'll say something like, wow, you used to have your rack tom so flat, now you tilt it towards you. So I'm clearly tweaking all the mm. time. You know, but
1: I don't I don't see it. What about you? Yeah, I mean it's I've I still have not found any kind of magic formula because I think every gig, every stage, every style, every application makes me feel differently physically. So it's each so some days I'm like, I need to be above the kit, so let me raise the throne up. This this time I need to feel like I'm inside the kit, so I'm gonna lower it or I want to put the crashes higher because I'm using a lot more arms on this gig or if I'm I'm trying to keep everything tight and compact I want to bring everything down. I don't think it ever ends for anyone. And no. unless you're just doing one thing all the time like Neil Peart played with Rush and he only played with Rush so his right. setup would make changes but it'd be like every 2 years he would change something. Right. And I also I kind of like the idea of just going with whatever you've got and and accepting the challenges that are in front of you with that so that that definitely came about from just having to play on other people's kits all the time and just saying, yeah. screw it, I'm going to be uncomfortable, but I'm going to find a way to make it work. And yeah. There's really nothing I can do about it. There's a lot that goes into the
0: different mindsets between somebody that started playing drums as a teenager or as an adult compared to what we went through where we started in school music programs where you had the school band kit, then you had the pep band kit, then yeah. you had this kit, Always and then different. you had to go to – golden empire jazz festival and play the house kit there. Right. So, so yeah, I mean, every day was a different drum with a Ludwig speed King pedal. Yeah. Right. And they're like, go ahead and rip. And I'm like, uh, dude, <laughs> my, <laughs> you uh, what I'm
1: playing with my middle school jazz band drum set was, was inherited from the high school. And it was like a mid seventies Ludwig with a 24 inch bass drum, a 13 inch wow. rack tom with no bottom head. 16-inch. Wait, this is for junior high kids. Yeah. Junior high jazz band. <laughs> junior high jazz band 2413 with no bottom yeah. head on the toms of course yeah and a speed Out. king pedal that squeaked and a speed Sweet. king hi-hat stand that didn't move right and Ugh. so yeah. i mean that, and but i was so excited to play drums with the middle school jazz band you know here i was in 6th grade and i'm playing that the jazz band was the first opportunity to play with like seventh and eighth graders
0: yeah yeah so here
1: i am like this 12 year old 13 year old kid playing with 14 year olds and just so excited i'm like i gotta just make do you know just don't hit the totally. right tom it sounds stupid don't hit it <laughs> Yeah, <You know>? exactly <laughs> yeah
0: i think you know i would say right now where i'm at with things is i probably feel similar to matthew as far as sound i'm tweaking sound all the time mm, okay. i'm tweaking like like, uh, is that crash too washy? Let me put a little piece of gaff on the bottom of it. And then the next day I'm like, why is my crash so dry? i got to <laughs> open it up, and I'm going to switch to this overhead mic. So I would say that. But the the movement stuff, I think that's probably the first 20 years or so. You just keep moving. You know? Yeah. S- seat height is the real one that I think is important for everybody to find a place that doesn't put too much stress on your back. Yeah. And that's a really important one. The rest you kind of figure out. Pretty much, what happens is somebody hit, somebody hits the rim of their rack tom, then they click it down one notch. Yeah. Like, okay, I don't want to do that again. And then you realize that every time you hit a rim shot on your snare, you're also punching your thigh. So you raise <laughs> your oh, snare man. up a I little bit. I bruised
1: myself so bad over th- <laughs> I think I'm actually still bruised. From-
0: <laughs> I'm just numb. I'm just numb there. You could. I would love if like if I ever got in any trouble and got kidnapped and I and they're like, we're gonna whip your thighs. I'd be like, go ahead, bud. I'm sorry, You're not getting any money out of me whip away i have no feeling in the front of my legs those have been my practice pads for years oh lord goodness gracious i don't know why my mind goes to these places when i'm talking to you i really don't think yeah i don't think of this stuff if i'm ever tortured i my my biggest fear is do not duct tape my mouth because i have a deviated septum so i would just sit there going like (laughs) (laughs) i'd be in so much trouble so it's like if you leave my mouth open i promise i won't talk and you can whip the front of my thighs, and I won't feel it. So there oh, you go.
1: Man. Anyway. Kidnappers be warned. And Matthew, keep experimenting, and get comfortable <laughs> playing with your kit up in all kinds of crazy ways, because that's going to happen to you in the real world. So. Absolutely. And all thanks right, for so, getting us back on so track. So bringing it back, let's go to John Buchanan's question. This is a pretty interesting one that I think I could, I could be a smartass and just have one answer for, or I could think about it and have a, a more detailed answer. So if you could build the best drummer from a parts bin... Who would you select for the right hand, left hand, right foot, left foot, and brain?
0: Oof. And I'm assuming your smart-ass answer is
1: Vinnie Cagliuda? Yes, I would take all of it. <laughs> I knew it. Uh, I well, might take the lungs of someone else who doesn't smoke as much. <laughs> yes, but.
0: There you go. A little, a little durability. <laughs> Although, that dude's still hanging in, man. He's not slowing down. So. No,
1: <clears throat> All right, well, what do you got? Let's, maybe we should go, like, you pick a right hand, I'll pick a right hand. Let's go like that. Oh, boy right hand okay
0: i'm gonna go right hand todd suckerman good choice i'm gonna go tony williams ah you always go for stupid things like feel and touch (laughs) all right left hand left hand uh definitely buddy rich it was like fred astaire dancing on the snare drum jeff peccaro precision nice nice right foot oh goodness gracious You know, just because I've been in the presence of it, I think I'll go with with Matt Halpern. Oh, nice. I just, I mean, he, dude, every time he hits his bass drum, like, I I really get scared for my life. So it's not about speed. It's not about, it's just
1: consistency. Every hit is exactly the same. Nice. Dennis Chambers. I'm not going to give any second option. Dennis Chambers has the most, for me, the most powerful and distinct right foot ever. Beautiful. Uh, Left foot. Man, Uh, Horacio Hernandez. Yes, I was going to say that, so I'll go Antonio Sanchez. (laughs) There you go.
0: I don't. I don't think we can lose. You know, it's funny that he brought though. We got to pick the brain. But by the way, out of all that, I still choose Vinny as a whole. (laughs) Um, But it's funny because I was going to, you know, I I was emailing you the rundown last night, and I was going to propose something very similar, but without the limb thing, more like the touch of this guy the groove mm. of this guy the soloing storytelling ability of this guy All right, let's or do this that. girl and I think that would be fun because let's do that next week yeah and uh, I think that would be a good thing to do alright awesome well, brain brain brain. oh brain jeez
1: actually I think this I'd feel fine choosing Vinny Cagliuta yeah I have to as well he's just a he's a he's a genius I don't think anyone's brain works as fast and as accurately as him so yeah so what and do we got? I've got Tony, Jeff Picaro, Dennis, Antonio, and Vinny. Did you write it down? No, Did you I, know I'm using my brain, my yeah. Vinny brain.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I said right hand, I can't remember who my right hand was. Uh Todd Zuckerman. Todd Zuckerman. Left hand is Buddy Rich. yeah Right foot is Matt Halpern. Yep. Left foot is uh, Horacio Hernandez and the brain is Vinny. I think there would be some. I'll oh, go ahead.
1: I'll say we need some graphic designers who are listening to do these <laughs> Good for us. God. Please give us some mashups. This would, would be amazing. I would love that. <laughs> I would love it. It would be awesome.
0: Oh my All goodness. Right, thanks, those John. Are, that was a, that yeah. was a
1: great question.
0: Those are two monster drummers right there. <laughs> two monster drummers. Tony Williams' hand, Jeff Picaro's snare drum. good god could you imagine it's like all all of the cool cool ride symbol stuff with this fat backbeat just thick nasty dead snare fat backbeat and then antonio sanchez over on the left foot just ripping seven eight claves yeah Uh,
1: on a a jam block
0: (laughs) i actually think we made two of the worst drummers ever as far as style goes (laughs) it'd be horrible It'd be just such a power struggle. And then Vinny is the brain of both of those going, like, yeah,
1: yeah, more. You know what that means, though? It'll just end up sounding like Vinny.
0: Exactly. I think that's what Vinny is all that stuff already. Goodness. I hope he never listens to this. He'd be like, are you guys (laughs) obsessed? No, you're just that good, Vince. All right. Picks of the week time.
1: Picks of the week. Do you have a pick of the week? I do you want me to go Bring first it. no go for it what do you got i've got the you know i'm i'm a huge fan of old ludwig snare drums but what i'm not a huge fan of is old ludwig throw-offs i mm-hmm. think they're they're just they never hold tension or they're they get to the point where they just won't open and close smoothly so i may have actually did i choose this already i'm having a little bit of deja vu but i think you did either way it's the danette uh ludwig style throw-off okay I don't know if I did if I did, it's worth a repeat. I think anyway. you've just mentioned it, but I don't know if you chose it as a pick of the week. Yeah, so it's it's his his um you know, his awesome throw off that the old arm kind of swivels and it's super adjustable, but it has a, a cutout around the attachment so it goes around the Ludwig center bead. Oh, nice. So you can replace your, your crummy old Ludwig um throw off with one of these. It's called the Gibraltar is is making it sc-gr-4l-c that's or you can just fishy. google Donette Ludwig throw off and you'll find it I like that, that's, that's awesome it's amazing, man. I replaced one of on my six. oh so you 14. do have it yeah, I replaced one of on my superphonic, my like John Bonham style drum, which I love it for recording, I never gig with it because the throw off sucked and now it's it's just, it's a tank now, it's not going anywhere,
0: nice, very cool, so I highly recommend um, it
1: Awesome. Well, my pick of the week
0: this time is a podcast, and I have recommended the podcast before. It's called the Planetary Radio Podcast. It's just a way for you guys to learn more about planetary science and the missions that we are sending out there. And obviously, I'm picking this because this week, the satellite Juno just went into orbit around Jupiter, which is going to give us a lot more information on the makeup of the atmosphere of Jupiter. We can find out Is there a core? If there is a core, what is it made out of? We can also find out Jupiter's a very massive planet. We want to find out why did it stop at being a planet and not turn into a star? Why did all of the elements that were making our solar system system after our star was born, why did they not keep going into Jupiter and eventually it just became a gas giant? So uh, the Juno mission is going to give us this. But my pick of the week is the Planetary Planetary Radio's podcast, and they did a three-part series on, uh, it's, it's called, let me check it out here, but it's called the space policy edition and there's the host Matt Kaplan. And then he's got Casey Dreyer, who's the advocate for the planetary society. And then they've also got a lobbyist for the planetary society. And those three guys talk you through how all of these missions are approved. They talk you through the, uh, decadal survey, which is really when, We take the smartest human beings in all sciences, Earth science, planetary science, and they sit in a room for about two years, and they plan out the next 10 years of projects that will happen. So what's crazy is this satellite that just went into orbit, this got planned in 2003. That's when it got approved for the budget, $800 million. and. People might think like, well, if we can get to Jupiter, why don't we just go to your, to Europa? Why don't we do this? Well, there's budgets. We don't have the money to do it. So they say, okay, we have this much money. What are what are our top priorities? And at the time, in 2003, we didn't know all the things that we know about the moons of Jupiter and the moons of Saturn. We didn't know there was water out there. So the top priority was finding out how is, how is Jupiter made? Let's learn more about it. Where now, if we had that same $800 million to spend on a mission— and get it approved now we would want to go to the moons we want to see why there's water coming out of these moons and uh see if we can drill down into different icy moons and find oceans well those things weren't even a possibility at the time because we didn't know the stuff so uh you'll learn dollars yeah and that's like a drop in the
1: bucket well you know what when you said that because all in the news now is about how the nba is just flush with cash and right (laughs) I mean, guys that that you've never heard of are getting a hundred and twenty-five million dollar contract. So basically, for the price of one starting lineup of an NBA team to play basketball for the next couple of years, we, we had could, we, we could go to Jupiter. <laughs> yeah, and, that's and shocking send, and
0: depressing. <laughs> it is. It is. And it's it you know with the speed of light, it takes forty-one minutes for any information to get from Juno, the satellite that's orbiting Jupiter, to us. And it was a twenty-five minute entry into orbit so by the time we found out whether we made it into orbit and into a safe orbit or just got caught in jupiter's gravitational field it was already done it was either we didn't have a mission or we did by the time we found out we, we couldn't monitor it in real time mm. so but these three episodes will teach you guys about the politics that go that are involved and how do these missions get approved and why are they approved and why did it stop at a at Eight hundred million dollars on this because if you had two billion dollars for this mission, we could have launched probes into Jupiter. Now, since we only had eight hundred million, the way we're going to get into Jupiter is we eventually give up on this. At the end, we say, "Okay, let's go in. We're going to crash into Jupiter." Yeah. And there's probably a lot of people that see Jupiter and don't know anything about planetary science that don't understand. You don't ever crash. You just eventually get crushed by the uh, you know the 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 force of gravity because there is. Well, we don't. We we assume there must be some sort of a core, but there's no like surface of Jupiter. It's just gas and gas and gas and is gas. Is it super duper hot? Would it just burn it up? Yeah, it's well. Yeah, once you get to that level of pressure, yeah. But but it's not hot from itself, just because it's so far away from the sun. So the moons are pure ice, you know, um, oh, ice and rock. But it's it's a pretty amazing thing. We're going to learn a lot about the composition of it. I mean, the magnetosphere of Jupiter is insane. So we actually got audio recordings. Uh, maybe we can even put a link to the audio recordings. But we got audio recordings of Juno as it made its way through the magnetosphere, magnetosphere of uh, Jupiter, and that—that that is the thing that keeps us safe on Earth. If we didn't have a core, an active core, and a magnetosphere, then we would get nailed by the sun's radiation every day. But more than we do. Uh, But since we have that, it protects us. And the other thing that people need to know is we are very lucky to have Jupiter. There are things coming, flying at us all the time, coming from the Kuiper Belt, uh, different uh, asteroids and different comets that Jupiter captures for us because it has such a massive gravitational field. If if we didn't have Jupiter in the middle out there, those things could come straight at Earth. So we're very lucky to have Jupiter. It's my favorite planet. Nice. You I want to check those out that's great <laughs> definitely planetary radio three part series um, and uh, it's it's the I think it's like three of the newest podcasts now uh, but like I said it's it's called the space policy edition so check it out all right brother all right. we'll have an amazing week I'm gonna go uh, take a little vacation time up in uh, Tahoe with Lou and then uh, get some we'll get some work done and then I'm off to ladies camp so right on we'll see you next week for our big 50 Oh my goodness gracious. In the middle of ladies' camp. There might even be like reality T V cameras here while we're doing it. <laughs> hey, I did not sign off on this. <laughs> That's right. No no no. I, I promise. If there's any royalties you will get zero point two percent of it. Yeah, yeah. I'll take zero. All percent. right. Have a great week, bud. See ya. Late.